Over the next couple of weeks, I, I said this uh, earlier in, in the service, uh, during the greeting, uh, first part of the service, but over the next few weeks, we're going to uh, be looking at a series called And Then He Came. Uh, we're doing this at both of our campuses over the month of December. And uh, we're just going to be talking about the story of Christmas, but we're going to try to talk about the story of Christmas from a little different perspective. I mean, there's obviously several accounts of the Christmas story in the Gospels and several of the Gospel accounts there in the New Testament. But we're going to look at the Christmas story, for the most part, out of the Old Testament. We're going to look at some of the things in the Old Testament in the, you know, the first part of your Bible that really help to set up and to tell this incredible story that I was just praying about, that, 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 that the story of God, the Christmas story, is actually a story. It doesn't just start in Matthew chapter 1 or really in chapter 2. It doesn't just start in Luke, when we, which we read with our, you know, our grandparents or grandchildren sitting in a rocking chair around Christmas. It's, it, the story doesn't start there. The story starts hundreds and hundreds of years before those accounts. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at that uh, during this series, and, and, and I'm so excited about that. I will tell you that today... You need to tighten your, your seatbelts, right? Because we're going to cover a lot of material, but I really feel like it's going to do a couple things. One, it's going to help us to get to where we want to be today, and also it's going to help to set the stage for this entire month. So we've got a lot to do, a lot to accomplish here. We're going to jump right in, and we're going to go with it, all right? So we're going to start, thank you, in the most famous verse in all of the Bible. John three sixteen. So if you got your Bible, you can flip there. You may be able to quote it. It's going to be up on the screen. And here's what John three sixteen says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's, it's the most famous verse in all the Bible. Maybe closely related to the one verse of two words, according to our, our, our media guy, Jesus wept. Maybe that's as famous because it's so, so short. But, but John 3.16 for sure is the most famous verse in all the Bible. People that are even unbelievers understand and, and have heard of probably this verse. Anybody that watched college football a couple years ago saw Tim Tebow wearing it on the eye black. Um, and so John 3.16 is this foundational truth, foundational verse for our entire Higher faith basis. All right. So I want us to look at that again, but I want us to see what words kind of pop out and they're going to pop out because of bold and underlining in PowerPoint. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. His one and only Son, if you read that verse, you've quoted that verse, maybe you've memorized that verse, you've heard a thousand sermons on that verse, his one and only son is a linchpin in that verse. It's kind of a hinge that makes the rest of it come alive. It really is what separates that verse and the entire Bible and all of our faith of Christianity apart from every other faith basis, faith system in all of the world. So here's what I want you to do. You were standing up a minute ago. You sat down. I'm going to help you work off lunch with a little cardio. Everybody stand up right now. Hurry. Stand up. All right. And I'm going to give you a, a criteria. And if you don't match that criteria, I want you to sit down. All right. Stay standing. If you're a man, if you're not sure, ask your neighbor. Okay. Stay standing if you are under six feet tall. All the tall folks, sit down. I don't like you. I wanted to be over six feet tall. All right? Stay standing if you were born in the United States. That cut anybody out? All right? Stay standing if you were born in the southeastern United States. 
stay standing if you are between the ages of 25 and 45. All right, we got a couple left. Stay standing if you were born in North Carolina, in High Point, on July the 8th. Just me? I win? That's good for an Outback gift card. That is awesome. Right here, I win. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. I'm so appreciative. No. What did we do right there? We took a set of criteria. I cheated, really, is what we did. But... We took a set of criteria, we took a a set of values, and we whittled the population of this room down to one individual, right? To where I was the only person in this room, maybe not in all of the United States. There may be somebody else in Canton that meets every one of those criteria, or somebody else in the United States. But in this room, I was the only one that matched all of those criteria, Which is a pretty amazing feat, you know, when you do it, except that I was the one that set up the criteria and I knew that I matched them, right? So I'm the one that wrote them down. I'm the one that kind of thought, here's what we'll say, here's what we'll do. And I knew that it would match me. So I knew what I was and who I was and what what the details of my life were. And then after the fact, I created a set of values which helped to elevate me as the person that was going to be the last one standing, right? That's the story of Jesus Christ except that the criteria was established hundreds of years before he showed up. You see that? So it's not like Jesus showed up and then we set a bunch of criteria to say, hey, here's who the son of God is going to be. He's going to be this guy who, you know, walked around and did these things and he performed these miracles and he lived this long and then he was crucified on a cross. And we're going to tell those details after it happened. Hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the earth, there were those values established in the Old Testament that set up the idea that when Jesus came, he fulfilled those things which had already been said about him. So today I want us to look at a couple of these just so that we can know for sure that God's word, which which we know to be the true and living word of God. We're going to look at a couple of things that I think will help us to understand who Jesus is and was according to his own testimony, according to God's word, and and how history kind of shows him. So here's what we're going to do. He claimed, Jesus, while he was on earth, claimed to be I am. And we're going to talk about why that's important. But let's look at this in John chapter 8. And I told you, you got to buckle up. So we're going to hit a bunch of scripture right here. John chapter 8. John's in the New Testament. If you were at John 3.16, just flip over five more chapters. This is what it says in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48. The Jews answer him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Wow, that stings right there. I would be a liar like you are. But I do, I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born... I am. 
Verse 59, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus was sneaky and sneaked off. That's not exactly what it says, but that's kind of my translation there. Verse 58 says this, they asked him, they said, okay, wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old yet. And you say that you've seen Abraham or that Abraham saw you. And this is what he says. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered before Abraham was born. I am. He's not even saying that Abraham lived long enough to see Jesus. He's saying before Abraham was born, I am. Right? I am. I, and here, here's why that's important. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Moses. We talked about this not too long ago on a Sunday. But Moses was standing in front of a burning bush, and he was standing there talking to God who was in that bush, who was talking to Moses about this incredible plan. And in that story, Moses asked who he was talking to. Who are you? And God replied to him and said, anybody know? I am. You guys are are geniuses. That's exactly what he said. So God proclaims to Moses, here's my name. I am, right? He says, if if anybody asks you who I am, I am. That's my name. And so Jesus here is saying to to these these people that are trying to interrogate him, listen, before before Abraham was even born, Abraham being the father of these Jews, the forefather of their faith base, before he was even around, I am. I am trading on the same name. I claim to be the same person that introduced himself to Moses. Not only did he claim to be I am, he claimed to be one with the Father, one with God. John chapter 10, just flip two more chapters over. John chapter 10, verse 24 says this. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. So not only are they liars, they're also dumb. Here's what he says. I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming to be the Father. He's claiming to be one with God. Not only did he claim to be I am, not only did he claim to be one with the Father, he claimed to be the Son of Man. We're going to read two scriptures here. One from the New Testament in the book of Mark. One from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We're going to tie all this together in just a few minutes, so hang with me. He claimed to be the Son of Man. This is in Mark chapter 14. This is when Jesus is on trial, just before he goes to the cross. Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. So he said, I'm the son of man. And he says, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. Keep that picture in your mind. Let's go to Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter seven. This is what it says. It will be up on the screens beginning verse 13 and 14. It says in my vision, Daniel speaking here in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the ancient days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right, so you've got three things that we talked about. There's several more, but you've got three things that we talked about so far. Jesus claimed to be I am, which was the name of God. He claimed to be one with the Father, one with Father God. And he claimed to be the Son of Man, which was foretold in the book of Daniel that the Son of Man would come on clouds. And and Jesus claimed to be that. But if, if that's all you had... I mean, if that was the only thing that you had this morning, you, you could contrive it in your head, or maybe someone that you've had discussions with has maybe had this argument with you. Jesus knew the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures of the Old Testament. He knew what the law and the prophets said. He understood what was being said about him. And so he showed up and he attempted then to live and to teach in a way that would set him up to be the guy. I mean, there were false messiahs in that day. There's false messiahs now who, who claim to be the son of God or who have claimed to do you know, these incredible things or do miracles or do um, signs and wonders or to teach these, these truths. There were, there were others in that same day who were trying to do the same thing. And so you could say, well, Jesus was just like those false prophets because he came and he knew that Daniel said that there was a son of man who would come on clouds and Jesus is just quoting him. And he knew that the name of that God gave himself uh, when he was talking to Moses was I am. And so Jesus is just claiming, hey, I am. And, and he knew that people looked to the father, looked to God as the father. And so all he said was, hey, I'm I'm one with God. And if that was all you had, then, yeah, I can see how it would be like, well, maybe it's not really true. But there's a couple of things that Jesus fulfilled in his life that he had no control over. There's a few things that he could not have controlled even if he wanted to. And I want us to look at three of those very quickly. We're going to look at the event, where it was prophesied, and where it was fulfilled. The first of those things is that he would be born to a virgin. Jesus, not even on the earth yet, had no way to make this happen, right? Everybody's in agreement with that, okay? If you're not in agreement with that, we need to talk after church because that's kind of confusing there. But he said, hey... And the the scriptures are telling us that he was born of a virgin. It was prophesied several hundred years before Jesus even showed up. Seven hundred years before in Isaiah chapter 7. These are not going to be on the screen. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and and you will call him Emmanuel. Pastor Mark and I are going to talk next week about this idea of Emmanuel out of this passage. But Isaiah 7 and said the virgin will conceive. It's fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus had no control over that. Jesus could have claimed a lot of things about his life, but he had no control over the idea that he was born to a virgin that was prophesied 700 years 
before he arrived on the earth. The second thing that he had no control over was where he was born. His birthplace in Micah chapter 5, again, about 700 years, 700 B.C., before Christ even showed up on the earth. This is what it said in Micah chapter 5. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. It's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. He had no way that he could control the place where he would be born. The third thing that he had no control over was the family that he would come from. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if we got to pick the family that we were a part of, right? We just had Thanksgiving and some of us have got crazy Uncle Joe or crazy Aunt Susie. And if you don't, you are that person for your family. They're all looking at you as crazy Uncle Whoever. If we could choose our family, that would be awesome. Jesus had no way to do that, right? In 600 BC, in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, it says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. 600 years before we have the book of Matthew chapter 1. If you've ever attempted to read the Bible through in a year or read the New Testament through, you start with Matthew chapter 1. And it may be that the first few days you get a little bit discouraged trying to read some of Matthew chapter 1 and other parts of the, the, the early part of the New Testament there. Because Matthew chapter 1 starts out like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father, blah, 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 blah. Right. I mean, you read that and you're like, what in the world? Depending on your translation, it may throw in a word begot, begat. You're like, what is this? You want to know what it is? It's setting up for you the family of Jesus. It's telling you who Jesus came from. Right. Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. And so right up front in verse one, it says this is the genealogy. This is the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You can't get more Jewish than King David and father Abraham. And then it begins to trace throughout the story, throughout the generations, all of the different people that are a part of the genealogy, the family of Jesus Christ. And we get uh, all the way through this. We see David there in verse six. We get all the way to the end. Verse 15 or verse 16 says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Out of the lineage of King David which was prophesied out of the lineage of Abraham, which was prophesied comes Jesus. He could have set himself up by saying the right things that he knew from the old Testament, but he couldn't control that he would be born to a virgin. He couldn't control that he would be born in Bethlehem and he couldn't control that he would be born into the family of David. And yet all three of these things, which were prophesied six or seven hundred years before he even showed up on the earth, came true. So what does that mean? It means that when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that there's only one and only 
per, there's only one person that can fit that role, that can be that person. One and only. So we have the first part of John 3.16, which says to us that there's only one way to kind of get this thing right. And then the second part opens up this incredible truth to us. It's already up on the screen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, just, just think about this, okay? The first part of this verse, the most famous verse in all of Scripture, says that there's a very specific set of circumstances that make this true. I mean, the only way that this verse and then this passage and then this book and then this entire faith is true is if God sent this one guy to this one virgin from this one family in this one city to be this one and only son of God walking here on earth. Very specific. Only one person can fulfill that. And once he fulfills that, now the story opens up to Whoever. We, we, we take all of the stories of history to that point and we bring them all together to the climax of one baby. One and only son of God. And at that moment, the story opens up from one individual to whoever. Your translation may say, whosoever. Whosoever believes whoever believes not whoever believes that out there somewhere is this creator is this cosmic force is this godlike substance somewhere no whoever believes in the one and only son whoever it's wide open you want to hear the gospel Of the whoever's. I want to read you four verses of scripture as fast as I can read. Okay? Maybe you think I'm already doing that. I think I can do better. Four verses of scripture as fast as I can read that talk about the whoever's. The first one's in Matthew chapter 10 verse 32. It says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before before my father in heaven. John 3, 36 says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. John 6, 37 says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John eleven twenty six 26 says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe? If you believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God, whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. You want the Christmas story in a nutshell? You want it in just a really neat one liner? Because of the one, the story includes everyone. Because of the one, the story includes everyone. Because of the one, the story includes everyone. Everyone. Whoever. Whosoever. 
Guess what? You're a whoever. I'm a whoever. Guess what? Your spouse is a whoever. Your kids are a whoever. Because of the one, the story includes everyone. The story includes your neighbor. The story includes your coworker. The story includes your kids' teachers, administrators at their school. The story includes the students in your class, teachers. The story includes the customers at the place that you work. The story includes whoever waits on your table today at lunch. The story includes whoever fixes your car when it's broken. The story includes whoever. Because of the one, the story includes everyone. The story includes the 80,000 unchurched people within seven miles of this school. The 80,000 people that we brought a campus of Mount Perrin North to Canton for. We came to Canton as a, as a church to open a campus for the whoever's. We came to Canton because we believe in the one. And so we're here for everyone. Puts a new spin on Christmas for me. Because it's, it's not just what child is this and this crazy operatic song I can't get out of my head all week. That I pray now is just in your head all day. The story of Christmas is the whoever's. I love gifts. I love the tree. I love the stockings. We've got Elf on a Shelf at our house, and it's a blast. I have a blast with that. I love Santa and Christmas movies and everything. There's nothing wrong with any of that, in my opinion. I love Jesus and the Christmas carols and the songs that we sing and the stories that we tell. I love it all. I love Christmas. But I guess what I'm confronted with this morning is that the story of Christmas is available to the whoever's because God so loved the world. And as much as I love Santa and I love Christmas and I love gifts and I love Jesus and I love coming to church and I love singing joy to the world and I love all those things. My question is, do I love the whoever's? Do I love the whoever's? And not just, yes, I have this affection because Jesus says we should love our neighbor as ourself not some, you know, distant emotional affection somewhere cast out there that hopefully some people feel in this warm, gooey emotional. I'm saying, 
Do I love them like the father loved that I would give of the best of me, my one and only son, so that the whoever's can be a part of the story? Do I love enough that I'm willing to be a little bit uncomfortable to share the story of Christmas? To share the story of the gospel? To proclaim the good news of the one and only Son of God. And the incredible truth of this band of whoever's that we're a part of. My hope and my prayer that Christmas... Christmas is more than about gifts and it's more than about singing Christmas carols and it's more than just about family. Although all of those things are great. My prayer is that this Christmas there are some whoever's in our lives who may somehow in a distant way or in a very intimate way at some point in their past know this story. But that through my life and more specifically through my words through the way that I give of myself to them, that they would know about the one and only Son of God. Because of the one, the story is about everyone. And sometimes I make the story about the one and I leave out everyone else. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. I want to ask you to do this with me. Would you stand? We're going to sit in a moment and we'll sit back down and we'll conclude this service. I told you you were going to get your cardio workout today. Here's what you're standing for. And if you want to sit down while we pray, you feel free to do that. You're standing because I'm putting you on the hook. You know the story. You know the truth. You know now that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. And you know that because of Him, the story is open and available now to whoever would believe in Him. And so we're standing this morning as a group of people in response to this incredible truth to say, God, You loved me enough to let me be a part of the Christmas story. And You love my spouse and my kids and my coworkers and my neighbors and the person that waits on me today at lunch and my teachers and my kids in that class and all the examples that we gave and thousands more, you love them enough to include them too. And if they don't know, would you let me be the one to share it? Would you use me to tell the greatest story ever told? That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life.
because of the one, the story's about everyone. As we pray, I want you to pray today for the everyones, the whosoever's in your life. That God would use you to tell the story. But maybe this morning you're here and you know this story as a distant truth. You've heard the story, you've watched the movies, you've seen the songs. You're a whosoever that's yet to believe. Because it's not just the whosoever's, it's whosoever believes in him. Believes that Jesus is the son, the one and only son of the living God. If that's you this morning, we want to pray for you as well. That you would ask the one and only son into your life to forgive your sins. To be not just the savior of your life. To save you and redeem you from the mistakes of your past. But also to be the Lord of your life. To lead and guide and direct you in the way that you live. So that your life honors God. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's looking around in this moment. If you would say, Jeremy, that's me. I'm a whosoever that's yet to believe. And today I want to believe. I want to respond. Would you just lift your hand? We're going to pray for you today. You can put it right back down. Thank you. You can put it right back down. You just say, hey, I, I want to believe today. And now this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, hey, I, I've heard the story. I've heard it in a much more compelling way than I even heard it this morning, maybe. But listen, I'm, I'm a whosoever that believed at some point in the past. But I've got some whosoevers in my life that don't believe, and I want to make sure that they know the one and only Son of God. And I'm committed to being the storyteller. Would you just lift your hand? You can put them right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, we thank you today for this incredible story. We thank you for the truth of this story. We thank you for the reality of this story. As a father, I don't want to lose the emotion of a father giving his one and only son for the salvation of a bunch of sinful people. Some of whom, including all of us in this room, who had yet to even enter the story of this world. I thank you for this story. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that he is the one and only son. I thank you that history will show us and scriptures will show us that hundreds of years before he arrived, he was predicted. And that he arrived as the full fulfillment of all that had been foretold about him. And that he lived and he died on a cross for our sins. And so this morning, for the hands that were raised for salvation... They were raised to believe. They were raised to live and to respond to the one and only son. God, today, would you save them? Would you respond to their hearts crying out to you? Would you respond to their need for a savior? Would you respond to their need for a Lord? God, lead and guide and direct their lives. Let them experience the fullness of joy that comes from relationship with you. And in the times that may be difficult, let them experience the hope that only comes from you. And God, then for the hands that were raised, maybe a hundred or two hundred hands that went up in the air to say, hey, I'm, I want to be the storyteller. I've got some whosoever's in my life that need to know about the one and only son. I want to make sure they know. 
I want to give them the opportunity to respond and believe. God, would you help us in this room that when we leave this place, we don't just leave with an understanding that we've heard the gospel or that, but God, that we're on, we're on a mission. We don't have to do it in some weird and wild and crazy way unless you call us to do that. It can be out of the personal relationship we have with individuals. I believe that's probably the most God-honoring way it happens anyway. That in the relationships, in the context of relationships with people we already know and do life with, that out of our heart for them, our love for them, our compassion towards humanity, we just make sure that they know about the one and only Son so that they can believe. God, I believe that we as a church are not fulfilling what you've called us to do unless we are leaving this place and pursuing the whosoevers. God, let our lives reflect that mission. Because of the one, the story's about everyone. God, let, never let us get it mixed up and think that the story is about us. We're only part of the story because of the one and only son. And we commit our lives today, God, to be used by you to tell this incredible story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.